Welcome to the Yoga Connection with Zorananda. The Yoga Connection is a deep dive into everything yoga. Follow along with Zorananda and his guests as they discuss yoga history, spirituality, different practices, and the many misconceptions that have followed along throughout the years of yogic tradition. Welcome to the Yoga Connection. My name is Zorananda, and I'm joined today with a good friend of mine. His name is Robin George, and welcome, dude. Hey. I mean, you're welcoming me to your basement. I'm technically welcoming you into my basement. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe just explain um, a little bit who you are and know why we're doing this you know why are we doing this um well i need more guests on my show so that's, there's that yeah, right and i need to be on podcasts so and you people need know to be podcasts right so yeah, that checks out okay right exactly <laughs> um the yeah what i'm intrigued by because we've known each other for a while now it's been like almost 10 years at least 10 years yeah, so what I had in mind were two particular topics. Awesome. And one of them, of course, your writing and what you're doing and releasing on Substack. I'd be really sad if we didn't talk about that. Yeah, and um, the other topic that I wanted to get into, I think we would be would be good to like start with, is your work and um, your involvement in intention and... Like intentional communities. Yeah, okay. intentional communities. Um so, how about, uh, first, who are you, what do you do, and why are you passionate about writing? Okay. Wow. Um, you know, I'm, this is going to be really interesting to see what comes out of my mouth, because sometimes I wonder about those questions as well. Uh, well, my name is Robin George. I am a <clears throat> writer and uh, serial entrepreneur uh, that is, I don't know, lives in the Edmonton region and I've uh, dipped my hands into so many different weird things that uh, when people ask me, what do you do? I often am like, I'm not sure. Today, though, I am <laughs> mostly a writer. Um, man, so what was the question? It's like, what do I do? So what do I do kind of depends on what time of the year it is. Yeah. A lot of the times, um, during like the January, February period of time, I build lanterns. Yeah. It was your brother. Yeah, that's right. Um, Dylan Toymaker, highly yeah. acclaimed artist. Um, epic lantern maker. Actually epic lantern maker. He's actually yeah. really amazing. Yeah. Um, his website is lightcraft.design, uh, and he has been building, LED LED lanterns uh, since like 2000. Wow, long that's, time. That's longer than I. Oh yeah, would have thought of. Actually, quite a bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and that technically that's not true. I think that that weird copper tree that you see over there was probably pre 2000, <laughs> even. So like there was a couple uh, crafty projects that he did like really early on in the LED days. So it was just like weird, weird crap that. You know, would not sell because like it was not very aesthetic because it was like really yeah. new art form. Uh, but he kept at it for a long time, and in 2008, uh, he recruited me after I was getting fed up of working in the the financial industry. 
and we went and started a ill-fated business called Crystal Cradle together and went to go sell art. Um, and then the global economy collapsed and uh, we struggled for about five years before giving up in 2013. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a painful ride. It was a painful ride, but it was also a beautiful ride. And as a result of that experience, uh, because failures aren't really failures, they're just uh, a school. Yeah. And that was the school of uh, hard knocks in art. So I have definitely uh, become accustomed to art being a fight for survival and feel weirdly comfortable in the arena now. So hmm. one interesting thing that came out of that is that we spent, we got one of our projects out of the Crystal Cradle days called the Mill Creek Adventure Walk, got picked up by the French community here in Edmonton, and it turned into the La Canoe Volant, uh, which is now... Like twelve years, yeah. Or something which like means that. the flying, canoe. which means the flying canoe, yeah. yeah. Uh, the 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 Métis indigenous story of uh, four French Canadian voyageurs like trying to get home to Quebec to see their families and making a deal with the devil to get a flying canoe so they can get there. But if they don't get there fast enough, then they lose their souls forever, and it's just like mayhem and mischief all Whoa, the way. Oh, I did not know that. Oh yeah, it's a bit of a dark tale actually. Yeah. Yeah, they really gloss over that during the festival. <laughs> like yeah, they legit uh gambled with their souls for a yeah. flying canoe. It's like Santa and Krampus, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a bit of that kind of Krampus They're like, Santa? No, that's an advertisement. No, Krampus? <laughs> that's a story. <laughs> Oh, so. man. Apparently, Krampus actually accompanied St. Nicholas, which is something I only just recently found out that they're yeah, like they teamed I, up. Yeah, because uh, Krampus would like punish the bad kids, right? Yep. He was the so punisher in St. Nicholas. Santa's like, like, here, Krampus, and here, Krampus, <laughs> and here you go, Krampus. There's a naughty boy in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how those mythologies have all over time. It's like, you get yeah. cold. No, you get thrown into a sack and kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yes, there is a bit of a Krampus vibe to the uh, to the flying canoe uh, origin story, but it's turned into like a twelve year tradition, and uh, like like honestly, like working inside the art industry and working with my brother just kind of got in my bones, and it's like at this point it's just hard to give up. So yeah. like every season in the beginning of the year, I'm building lanterns, I'm building lanterns, and then setting them up in the creek, and that's uh, it's been a consistent gig. It's, it's sort of like that's how my year sort of kicks off, and. Is every year different? Are you guys making new designs and every like year layouts? Yeah, I mean, like the whole thing doesn't get repackaged because, like, good lord, we have like three hundred lanterns. Yeah, do you imagine having to rebuild three hundred lanterns? Like, no, no, no way, no. no, no. We, no. So uh, things once things get built, we drag those lanterns out for as many years as we can. Yeah, but we're always adding new stuff every year. So, like, we had, I don't know four or five new lantern series that kind of dropped this year to add to the twenty twenty five pre existing ones that were already there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, at this point, I'm. Uh, I think my involvement in that has mostly shifted entirely to just lantern building and lantern repair. So I think I officially count as a toy maker elf. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Which is a bit of a weird vibe to like adopt, but yes, I am. Uh, if Dylan is Santa, then I am an elf, and that is uh, <laughs> that is a weird self label to put on that. But that is one of the hats that I wear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the last couple years, uh, that had of like who I am outside of that period of time is sort of like varied quite a bit, uh, in the post pandemic era, like the pandemic hit and basically my entire life blew up. 
uh, like everything that I had counted on that this is my life just vanished. Uh, yeah, I had a similar smoke. experience to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of those pieces that, that vanished was a very long-term relationship. And so like my mental health coming out of the pandemic was quite bad. Yeah. Uh, if you will. And one of the, the, the steps that I took to get out of that was to return to an earlier dream, which is writing. I was specifically writing a novel that I'd been percolating on for a very, very long period of time. So I took what little money that I had and just went to write, uh, went to go live in Nelson for the summer and did writing while I was there and then came back and have sort of continued that project and been ongoingly going with it. Uh, I don't have like a writing educational background, so it's been a bit chaotic uh, in terms of like the ebb and flow of like doing that kind of work. So it's taking more time than I would like, but it is yeah. unfolding. I expect it to be done this year. Um, I probably would have said something similar last year, but I think that this year actually it will get done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, last year I took a bit of a deviation and uh, did a project management like side gig thing to try and pay the bills while I was writing. Um, but at a certain point I was just like, you know, I'm going to put as much work into this project management thing as I'm going to into writing. So, you know, screw it. I'm just, we're just going with the writing thing now. So career wise, I am, uh, playing chicken with the universe that either it's going to let me be a writer or uh, I don't really know what happens after that. I think you have a good name for a writer. Really? You know? Yeah. Robin George. It's like, it's easy. You okay. Know? I love being easy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> George Martin, right? There's a couple of R's in there, but I have an M for a middle. Like I could go Robin M. George, and like have, have actually yeah, thought about that. There yeah. we go. I might throw um, an so that's one thing. To, and maybe. the interesting thing is that decision is daunting. I oh think God, to like because yeah. I I think how old are you? I'm 43. Yeah, so you are resetting my entire seven. Life. No, Little you're seven years crisis. older than me, but yeah. um. I have that thought of like I need to just like dive into the side things that I'm doing, but it's not paying the bills, right? No, and, but not. that's the magic of it that how it becomes the thing that pays your bills. Yeah, desperation is from, and um, so yeah, when I look at the work that I'm doing, um, it has this similar feel of family dynamic because my brother is like technically my boss; he's like general manager of the plant. And, um, but when I look at what we're doing together and what we're building and the kind of legacy that we're bringing to our family, it makes sense. And then all the side stuff is for me as hobbies, like a privilege that I get to do it. You know, mm -hmm. when I look at my daily living, it's like, man, I have a house, I have a car, I have a like pretty sweet job. And in my downtime of things, this is what I'm doing. I'm recording podcast episodes with my friends. I'm writing music. Um, I'm getting back into yoga and, and you know, a lot of what this is too is going towards my yoga book. Right. So, um, and yeah, so it's, it's interesting to see that like you're in a position that's a little bit ahead of me. You know, of like, I can drop all these other things that doesn't matter anymore. And I'm just going full steam ahead into my writing. And mm -hmm. um, faith is a big one. You oh, know? God. And yeah, it's not like a, lot a faith here. not a lot of proof, just a lot of faith. Yeah. No. And I think a lot of people just have trouble with that word because it's so religiously um, used. Right. 
So like where faith in how this thing works out and like the language that you, you want to use, if it's the universe or God or whatever, that that is a variable in the life change that's going to happen. For sure. Yeah. You know? And so when I look at it, I'm like, man, do I have the faith? And just like I'm telling my brother I'm going to quit and then like jump into this. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I wonder about that sometimes myself. Yeah. I've, I've made the choice to, to just go full bore, but it is every day like I wake up and I'm like, holy shit, I better make this count. Yeah, and um, that's what I felt over this winter. So I've kind of, I felt, I feel like getting older in a weird way. The seasons are, they're different than when I was a kid, you know? And so this winter, I'm seeing, I'm like, yeah, there's definitely a depression that creeps. That as soon as the fall comes and the winter starts coming, it's like, I just don't want to do anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And ironically, it was the perfect time to actually start back up a thing with things, but in a manageable way. So when I thought to myself, I was like, you know, I'm only I'm only the one stopping myself from doing this podcast, for example. Right. Did you actually take a break from your podcast and only start up again recently? Yes. Yeah. So I took almost a year of not doing it and just. So I think it was December 1st was my first one back. And it was with my friend Zarnoosh. And, um, <clears throat> or no, wait, it wasn't with Zarnoosh. I did a solo episode. But, um, yeah, that I have something that I can actually just start and plug away at. And when I look at, say, my friend Mark, who has set up all this for me, so all, like, the back-end transistor FM stuff, mm-hmm. um, he's the one that, like, got me into it because he was like, yeah, start your podcast, get going. And... Um, yeah, I love your kid. I wish I had one. Yeah. And so when I when I look at Mark or Sam Tripoli, there's, like, a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? And having a mentor was is like super big i think in helping with that transition you know because you want to have someone that's like ahead of you that you can turn to and be like hey what about this or this um i keep waiting for the universe to like provide me with a mentor but i'm just free balling it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and but the thing is is like with all your writing and the more like the more you get involved you'll start finding things like mm-hmm. you'll start finding people and you'll start finding events, you know, like if it's a seminar, if it's like this author or that author. And that's really how it came about with all the podcast stuff. I just, and it really comes from authoring and um, publishing my book and having these new gears turning in my mind, right. That like didn't exist before. Cause I was, I, after I published the book, I was like, well, I need to promote it somehow. Yeah. And I don't want to go the convention way. I'm not going to call radios and TV shows and like morning shows. It doesn't work like that anymore. Right. And, and I'm self-published. So I turned to podcasts and Mark and Sam were the first ones that I came in contact with. And that just opened the door to all these other podcasters. So over the last like four years, I've probably been on like, I don't know, more than a dozen shows some of them multiple times and 
to see that the like what's so crucial is that slow grind mm. and and like so when i was looking back at the last year of not podcasting i see where i like i could have kept going you know and have i would be at 100 episodes right but that's not the point it's, all of that is part of the journey of learning and so yeah, so this choice of like just diving fully into it. Um what kind of goals or like what kind of strategy do you have that's that you think is gonna be helpful with the success of your writing? Oh boy. You know, I've been asking myself that question kind of a lot lately. I dived into Substack pretty heavily because I need a place to just get publishing. Um, a really common issue that writers have when they're trying to get noticed is they'll sort of write a thing and then they'll send it to online magazines or like short story anthologies or uh, book publishers and stuff like that. And they're just like begging for someone else to give them a platform. And <clears throat> all of the sort of autobiographies that I've read of people who have gone through this grinding process talk about like hundreds and hundreds or thousands of rejections before they like finally get something. And then the ball slowly starts running, uh, rolling and they'll get paid these tiny sums of money in order to be able to actually get published. And I was like, wow, that sounds super unappealing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just like, that's a really shocking amount of effort for like no return. Uh, and then I dug into book publishing returns and like, Traditional publishing apparently is now at a place where like if you sell a book through a traditionally published mechanism, most authors will make about two fifty a book. And I was like, Wow, that is yeah. so awful. Yeah, they take about they take up to eighty percent royalty. And in some cases more, yeah. 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 Like yeah. it's a staggering amount of money. And and then I started reading other stuff where they're talking about like how the traditional publishers don't even give a shit about new authors really at all because like they're bad investments. Um, yeah. And like you can invest quite a lot of money into a brand new author and unless it somehow resembles the formula, the mysterious formula that sells, uh, they don't really care about you. Mm -hmm. And so unless you're connected or you're really good at just finding that one sort of like leverage point to be able to get a crack into the, the traditional publishing thing and then find that advocate in the system to advocate for you to be their new Backstreet Boy, um, like, it's not even really an option. So, like, I sat with yeah. that. I really sat with that because, like, I really wanted to, like, get my big break and get picked up by, like, one of the big uh, traditional publishing. Like, you know, the the, the dream of, like, I'm going to be big and thrown out there. And, and I was just like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen for me because, like, I don't have a creative MFA. I don't – I'm not connected in with that universe. I literally came from, like, sales and project management and politics into uh, writing – fantasy fiction which is like quite the job <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. for being honest like my interests in writing are vastly different than my education and like that's just the truth yeah um and so like credibility wise we're like why would we talk to this guy fair enough so right out of the gate i was just like that's probably not gonna work for me um and i can invest a bunch of money trying to chase it anyways just for the glory of it uh but realistically i'll beat my head against that wall for like five years and have no money so I was like, okay, 
So if I don't do that, what's left available to me? Well, the same path that I've been doing for like over a decade, which is small business style. Like, how can I just be out there and run this like it was a business? Yeah. Uh, and that it's a business that I'm basically in charge of all aspects of. And I have to network and um, and connect with different people in order to be able to get this business off the ground. Okay, done this before. Uh, varyingly successful at different times in my life, but I have done this before. I'm like, okay, so what does that look like? Well, that looks like self-publishing. Or it looks like um, subscription modeling. So that's when I started digging into things like Substack and Ream and um, Medium and stuff like that, where there's like this whole ecosystem of authors that are creating uh, books and series and novels that are just publishing them piece by piece to people that subscribe to them directly. Uh, and apparently mm. this is actually something that Charles Dickens did. Uh, like his books were originally published as basically like uh, like, like monthly or weekly pamphlets that you would get in the mail and you would pay like a subscription fee to be able to get like the latest update in his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, which basically like a comic book version of a novel, except with no drawings or minimal drawings. Yeah, it's just like chapter at a time. Chapter at a time kind yeah. of stuff. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, and that really appeals to me because it's kind of like you, you write the story and then you send it out and then you get feedback on it and then you write the story and then you send it out and get feedback on it. And this apparently worked like in the 1900s uh, as a model that actually paid authors. And like once they got some kind of name, they actually got paid for the work that they did. Yeah. Uh, because the existing ecosystem for authors is fucking garbage. Like, yeah. You have to be <laughs> pretty fucking exceptional and... Uh, really like for example, there's um, a Navy SEAL named Jack Carr. Yeah. Um, the Terminal List. There's a TV show about it. Okay. Now with um, Chris Pratt. You know, like the level of connections you have to have to go that far. You know, like this Navy SEAL dude comes home and he's like, "Shit, what am I gonna do with my life?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "Well, I went through all the shit in SEAL Team Six, so you know, and." has a friend who's an editor at a place, you know? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> unless you're Jack Carr and you're just set up for it, you know, like, oh, I'm going to become a writer because it's there, right? But to not have that and to decide to become a writer, then from what I've researched as well, like what publishers are looking for is how much of the footwork you do and have done mm-hmm. to promote yourself to have a certain level of success and um what i've found because i went through all these different forums of people who have done all sorts of publishing right Mm -hmm. and i got to this document that basically it was a ebook that outlined the whole process of traditional publishing and um basically if you self-publish first in order for a publisher to even look at you, you'll have to have sold at least 20,000 of your book on your own. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember. I, yeah, I think that's like, and there's also like the timing of it too. Like how long has your book been out? How long did it take you to get those, right? So if you're like, oh, I wrote my book 10 years ago, they're going to be like, eh, right? Yeah. So um, this is where social media like weighs heavy as a contender and what it takes to stylize 
your brand of this, right? And it's like there's a whole rabbit hole of it. And, oh God, is there ever? You know, even though we've had social media for so fucking long, it's different now. It is so different, and it, and just the game that you have to figure out, specifically the ad game, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so. Um, this is where I want to lead to the intention archetype stuff. Yeah. All right. And, um, because it, it fits in an interesting way, um, in regards to like this podcast itself and the yoga connection. Sure. Um, (laughs) and it's all based, you're going to hate me for this. It's all based on my joke. Oh, no, don't you dare. <laughs> but I I thought about this, okay? This is something I've been thinking about uh, when it comes to cults. <laughs> when it comes to cults. And, um, like, first of all, how an intentional community even exists sure. in a city, right? Because Archetribe is old, too. It like came 2008. about 2008. Yeah. Ironically, so, roughly around the same time that uh, Dylan and I started Crystal Cradle. So were you part of like forming that at all or did that come about through other people? Um, I wasn't actually part of the formation of uh, Archetype. No, I was there immediately after its formation. And I did attend a party with the community in like 2006 with the group's that would then go on to form Archetribe. Hmm. So, man, that's a old history at this point. Dylan was part of the formation. He was part of the, I don't remember which branch of it, because there's like three different branches that then came together and formed Archetribe. I don't, I think he might've been connected to two of them. Uh, there was like Zion Collective Gears and something else. Um, Yeah, I don't remember what the names were. Um, and were these the, like, um, techno and, like, EDM crews from back in the day? Not exactly, Or, no. like, ravers from back in the day? Not exactly. They were, they were, they were inter- like, community interest groups. Um, like, one of them was, like, a permaculturalist group that was, like, really into, like, off-grid survivalist kind of stuff, like, renewable energy technologies and... Um, Earthships and that kind of stuff. So, like, there was the permaculturalists, uh, there was the new age spiritualists, and then there was the 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 radical social justice crowd. And so, it was these three different groups that like gathered together for purposes um, that were distinct from partying. Hmm. But then they all kind of knew each other, and at some point or another, someone proposed that they all band together and throw events. And so the three of them started collaborating on putting on raves because uh, obviously those, the common thread between those three things would be raves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's functionally what happened. Um, and it was, you know, it's, it's like raves are a networking event. They're a networking yeah. event, uh, event for like people of a certain sort of category of uh, perception. And uh, the events went really well. There was a lot of like overlap of values and there was like a lot of community interest. And so then they started actually working more frequently together. And then I think in 2007, 
uh, they started holding meetings about merging the three organizations. And then out of, um, did you ever meet Tara Fleener? Fleener? No, I don't think so. Um, also known as Tara Entheos. She's oh, really deeply involved yes. in the Envision Festival in Costa Rica. Yeah. 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 Um, she had a dream uh, that the organization should be called Architrat. And from that dream, the the organization was named. There was originally going to be like a bit of a push towards calling it like the, the Zion something. But then they were like, no, that's actually really bad to call them that. You shouldn't do that because that yeah. has like deep meanings in other parts of the world. But it was <laughs> like, oh, we're very white and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we don't know these things, but now we do. So we're not going to call it that. <laughs> and we went with Archetribe uh, or they went with Archetribe because I was not really on the scene at that particular time. Uh, which I think was a great decision. It's a great name. It's a great name, and it does not yeah, have all like that loading. Too. Yeah, uh, it does not have all of that loading. So uh, I came on the scene at, like, the second event that that group put on, and that would have been, the I think, the first symmetry. I think I went to the first symmetry, and, like, this, the second intention. Hmm. Yeah. Although intention technically wasn't part of Archetribe, that's like a little yeah, complicated was... backstory, but like yeah. it more or less was. Yeah. It was that group of people still putting it on. It just wasn't under the Archetribe umbrella at that time. Yeah. Because um, I think the first one I went to was 2011, Intention. Right. So that would have been like the last year at Camp Mascapatoon? No, that's not it. Was it at Stonehenge? Uh no, it was at Camp Casota. It was, it was the Camp first Kasota. time it was at Camp Casota, so that must have been like 2013. It would have then. been either been 11 or 12. I don't remember 12. precisely when we uh, when we moved locations, but it, yeah. it was around then. Yeah, yeah, and um, <clears throat> yeah. So my my thoughts on this is um, when you have an organization like this, that's wanting members mm -hmm. and it's wanting to show people that there's a way to live that's you know harmonious with the planet harmonious with the city harmonious with the people around you and um and so my joke is that uh it's best cult ever yeah and but um what i what i was thinking is um when you look at the nature of typical cults, mm -hmm. right? That's like um, head by one person. It's usually a dude. One charismatic leader. That's yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, so you when you have that standard, but then here we have what would look like a cult, <laughs> but There's it's run by that. like a council of people. Mm -hmm. And it's actually run like an organization. It's actually run as if it'd be like a not-for-profit. Because I'm pretty sure it's like actually registered as a not-for-profit, isn't it? It's not. It's not not-for-profit. Not-for-profit. It doesn't not, exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't. It's it's a big secret. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we won't edit that out. That's okay. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> so, um, because uh, I it being a nonprofit or it being like a, a non-existent entity actually has been a bit of a source of contention amongst the organizing crew because there's <laughs> there's like differing opinions on what it is to be 
an official organization in the eyes of the system versus yeah. not. Oh my god, the level of fucking bureaucracy you the guys would have to go that you through. have to do, oh. like the fact that you have to have standing elections, that like it it adds all these layers of accountability. Yeah. Uh, to the system that takes away from the energy of actually doing the work of the organization. And so that's been a push and a pull for some time because there's been this idea of like, well, then maybe we could go do like casino charity events and then we wouldn't have to pay as much for our tickets. I'm like, yeah, but that's still work. And then we have to do a bunch of work on top of that. Or we could just live our lives and then just work on the actual mission itself. Exactly. And, um, so having like just one charismatic person that tries to lead an entire group Mm -hmm. and we see it all throughout the last like 30 years 40 years of how that just spirals and i think you're gonna have contention no matter what Mm -hmm. but to be in a position where you want to start something that kind of gets the gears going on this like fundamental mechanism of um, encouraging personal growth in people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That, say, for example, like someone like David Koresh or like Jim Jones. Like, do you know who those are? I know who Jim Jones is. Who's David Koresh? David Koresh was like Waco, Texas. Okay, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I'm familiar with that. That like, when you really look into these guys and who they were and what they were like, Majority of them just hate the system. Yeah, they despise it. Like kind they don't want to take. Ta- they don't. Like yeah, it's great. they don't want anything to do with the government. They yeah. don't want to pay taxes. They just want to live a free life. And it, and usually in their like awakening, mm-hmm. if it's either in David Koresh's, like he thought he was becoming God. He was like, um, there's a quote from him in an interview, essentially that's like. Uh, in order to become God, one must do what God does, right? And then, what does that mean, though? Because right, then yeah. you look at what he's doing, Are we and all like becoming God, then, right? And so, um, you have this like awakening that is happening in these people, and but whatever brought them to that awakening, they don't focus that on on that anymore because now they have the activities of the cult, so they have to like do and live by their new awakening and, you know, like spiral out of control to their inevitable like defeat. Right. And it's usually brutal, like Jim Jones or even Waco, Texas, you know, like the FBI just came in and just like killed everyone. And so why, why I thought it was funny when I was like, Hey, Robin, man, you're like our cult leader. (laughs) But, When you when you have a group of people who isn't being manipulated by this like charismatic figure who because says I'm they're, not they're manipulating they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just learned the lessons. <laughs> I just don't give you guys guns. <laughs> no, that's that's a bad idea. <laughs> <clears throat> so um Ugh. um us as regular people, we have lives cuz we're, we're not we don't have that like Kratos, you know, like we, we also have... don't have any like land, right? Like that's a really critical component of uh, both Waco and yeah. Uh, and where was uh, Jim Jones? It was like, uh, in I Panama think... or 
Uh, I think it was in South America somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Colombia. Yeah, South. I think it was Colombia. Yeah, like, each of them had land and resources. And, like, there's a really different distinction between, like, the container ship that is actually an isolated village versus what we do. Yeah. Which is a temporary village at, like, for, like, eight or nine days every uh, every year. And so, like, the entire existence is so different. Like, what would Archetribe look like if all of a sudden we had property and we had resources and we're all gathered in a single place operating together? Like, it would be so different than what we do now. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that we would evolve into, like, an actual cult with, like, a charismatic leader that's sitting on top of everything because I think we've actually built uh, an organizational system that would be resistant to that. That's what I was getting to. Yeah, like, I think we'd be quite resistant to that. And, um... And honestly, like some of the work that I've done has literally been to like uh, proof the organization against people like me. Yeah, <laughs> is to make the organization. Yeah, like like wait a minute, how would I manipulate and control everybody? That's okay. quite literally. Well, let's everybody. prevent like, that. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's make sure that people like me can't roll in there and take over the whole thing. Because <laughs> like I'm probably not going to be there forever. Like there's other yeah. stuff that goes on. Like I have my own plans. Like I might leave at some point or another. But I want to see Archetype continue. And I don't want to see it fall to the dictator, which is like a chronic problem for any system. Um, yeah. Like a, like a talented, charismatic person rolls in, charms everybody, and now all the resources and all the attention are being uh, directed towards them. That organization is basically doomed from that moment on. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, yeah, what are your questions? What about it? Um, oh, you put me on the spot. Um, you called me a cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, yeah, so from what I remember, because um, I've, you know, um, just as intention as an example, mm -hmm. right? Um, I've been a part of it for many years. And like ten, like 11, 12 years. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's like a few years that um, I didn't go, but. Um, like this. what I see as like a model for, um, like, it's just going to sound so weird, but like what a cult w could look like that's operating and the sanity of it is there. Okay. And so like, but then it, it's not at all. It's, um, I think, I think I can take it from here. From yeah. Here. So just like you said, like a pop-up village, yeah. you know? So I think what needs to kind of be addressed here is like, what is a cult? Yeah. And like, why do we keep returning to that? Like a cult from like a purely technical definition is an unrecognized religion. Yeah. That's good point. all it is. It yeah. It's just, it's, it's a matter of size. Every religion has started out a cult. And no religion is ever going to want to say that. Like, you don't want to say the cult of Catholicism. Yeah. But, like, at some point or another, well, maybe not Catholicism. That's, like, a bit of it because that's, like, Roman imperial shit. Yeah. Um, but, like, every religion has started off as, a, as, like, one, two, 20 people that's small that was against the system that was in play at that time. That was countercultural. Mm -hmm. Every religion was countercultural at some point. And when it was countercultural, it was a cult. Mm -hmm. It was a threat to the system because religions are used to structure power to maintain whatever systems exist at that time. Interesting. It teaches you values. It teaches how you, you how to live in life in society. And it goes and creates a systems of like community connection and obligation 
that basically teach you how to be a person living in society in a way that doesn't have you stabbing your neighbors for food. Yeah. That is the purpose of religion is to keep you from stabbing your neighbor for food. Mm -hmm. Now today we think that's the purpose of law. We're not doing great on the not stabbing each other for food right now. If anybody hasn't noticed, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, there, and like there's a number of philosophers who talk about this as the meaning crisis because we have lost our way we no longer have meaning and purpose as a society we don't have that common glue that binds us together that in north america for like the last hundred years honestly has been christianity mm -hmm. and we've walked away from christianity and what have we replaced it with not a lot of anything yeah. yeah like honestly science is kind of taking that position yeah and um, like ideologies ideology like identitarianism is starting to take a bit of that sort of position politics is taking a bit of that position hobbies are taking a bit of that position which is pretty fucking weird yeah sports is taking a bit of that position so it's just like all these different hacking things that kind of bind people together towards common cause but it's it's created like the the decentralized um ununified society that we see today just this this chaotic mash of all these different tribes that are trying to coexist and getting really fucking angry with them uh, with each other lately because they don't see to eye to eye yeah. because they don't have religion buying them to buying binding them together well uh it's thought that i had a while ago um the one thing that the like say Catholicism, Christianity doesn't have anymore, is they don't have the, the same level of fear of punishment of being like a heretic or like a blasphemer. Yeah, you can't get exiled. Right? Yeah, excommunication yeah. isn't the threat it used to be. And like it's still going to happen, but... doesn't matter. It's like it's militarized sense that it had by being a part of monarchies and kingdoms, right? That like, if you were like a witch or a heretic or something, like you can, people will come after you, right? Right, but that wasn't like the big threat. The big threat was excommunication because if mm. they excommunicated you, like all other Catholics were obligated to not provide you with any aid. And like humanity does not survive without its fellows. This is actually a really great tangent for us to go on. Yeah. Um, like humanity does not survive alone. The lone wolf dies. Yeah. That is a myth. That the lone wolf survives and is stronger than all of his peers? No, he dies. Yeah, lone humans die. Yeah, well, and that look was what the you're putting communication. Yeah, well, look what you're putting yourself up against, right? You become a lone wolf. Now you're against a whole pack. Yeah, like who's gonna get the food first? You as a lone wolf or the or whole like pack? Or like the six dudes who jump you? Yeah, the six <laughs> dudes every time. Yeah, every time. Yeah, like you have to be fucking Jet Li, and even he in real life. <laughs> might not make it out with these <laughs> <Yeah>. guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, like guns yeah. are really leveling. Yeah. Um, and so this is this is what I think is um, I think this is actually a really important point uh, with the intentional community. The lone wolf dies. The entire mythos that like you can be the superstar who makes millions and just does it all on his own. Yeah. No one. No one actually does that. No millionaire got to be a millionaire on his own. By yeah. being a lone wolf. He got there because built on the backs of the work of others. Mm -hmm. He has had he is at the top of a pyramid, every single one of them. And like so those pyramids are literally what keep us going. That what that's where the leaders come from, that's where the cult leader comes from. He tries to build his own pyramid that's separate from the pyramids of the system. Yeah, that's a good way to th think about it. Yeah, that's what he's trying like to do. That. He's trying to build his own pyramid. Yeah. But that's not actually how humanity evolved. 
Mm-mm. Humanity evolved in circle with like small villages. Like the evolutionary psychology is pointing out that humanity is wired for like the 50 to 150 people. That's yeah. how many people you can know. That's supposed to be your sort of family tribal unit yeah. that you grow up with. And like all indigenous cultures have something like this. Uh, the clans of like early Europe and England, all they all had this. And it wasn't until that was destroyed that mm-hmm. the industrialization of society and capitalism really took off because now everybody was dependent on the giant pyramid that is the system. Whereas before they had their family and that was what kept them alive. So what Archetribe is, is trying to just get people to remember that, where yeah. we came from, was that sort of that early village tribe that was your family unit that cared about you, that stood up for you, that helped you survive in the cold winter when you were alone. That's beautiful, man. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, I love this because, um, I've had conversations with you about all sorts of stuff. Right. And like, we've never really had our, like a a, uh, opportunity to talk about archetype and intention like this. And to get that sense of it. And, I, like, I've already known that, too. Like, being the participant. You feel it like, once you're there. Being, like, an organizer of it, right? And um, and so it's, it's uh, I think it's just an innate realization. You just watch it all happening. You're there, and you just see everybody buzzing around doing their things. And, like, people are volunteering in the kitchen. People are volunteering This is how it's there. supposed to be. You feel that. When you're in it, you're like, this is how it's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. And that's why so many people at the end of it are, like, even, like, there's plenty of new people who are like, I've never done this in my life Mm -hmm. and this is the greatest thing. And so I wonder then if like there's these like primordial triggers, Mm -hmm. you know, that in our day to day society aren't getting, aren't getting switched on. And we, this is where then we need these kind of events and why the structure of it is um, kind of imbued in the system that we're in. Right. Where, you still go to work and you still live your life and you have your family and your friends. And then once a year we're going to this like winter retreat and we get to unplug from that and we get to then simulate what a village would have been like now with the amenities of our modern living. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like we're going out to the bush and we're like, okay, we have no electricity or running water. It's like, we have to like, yeah. (laughs) And I like indoor and the prep for intention anyway is exhausting, you know, like it's quite a bit of work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're feeding and housing, you know, like 150, 200 people, 130 people, 130 people. Yeah. Yeah. And there you go. It hits your, that limit, right? 130 people. And right within that evolutionary yeah. number. Yeah. And every, like every year I go too, it, it's amazing because you, everyone during the day is kind of spread out. So you don't really know there's that many people until the night comes and then everyone's packed in the activity hall dancing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been, um, a huge part of my life has been transformational for sure. Mine too. Yeah. I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for the fact that I stumbled in on this group, like. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. 16 years ago. And the interesting thing is like coming out of the, of the pandemic and seeing how tensions are settling, you know, and, um, I didn't get to go this past year, but everyone that I've talked to was like, man, that was like the best year. It was. Right. And I, I like, I don't feel bad hearing that. Like, Oh, I missed out. I'm like, good. 
Yeah, I'm like, the museum I'm, probably could go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be there next year. Yeah. Because there was in question at a certain point. They, they could have fallen on its face and died. Yeah. It came real close. Yeah. Yeah. So that gives me hope because then, you know, when I think back of uh, the Nourish days, right, we, we had this hub for the community to operate out of pretty much. Yeah, that was another gift to the world that Archetribe gave that yeah. nobody really knows. Yeah. Yeah, because Nourish wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that convergence of tribes. Really? Like, look who ran it. Yeah. It was like Jordan Wilkie, it was Shanice, it was uh, Ayaz, like all those guys who were out of the... Well, not I don't know about Jordan, but like the the, the Kassams yeah. are absolutely part of like the, the New Age spiritualists who were there at the beginning of Archetribe. Yeah. Interesting. And a lot of the people that they pulled in in their initial sort of launch of the thing were people from... Yeah, were from that community. Yeah, that's what I wish could happen again. If there could be a place that acts as like a hub, like where just every day it's operating, right? But it's uh it's a lot of work. Yeah, no, that's actually a really interesting point because like this actually ties into the mechanics of how you go and keep those kind of communities going. Yeah. Um and you can't rely on one place. Like even during the nourish days, it wasn't just one place. There was the tree house, there was the Zen den, there sun was the belly. sun belly, yeah. and there was nourish. And each of those places kind of filled a bit of an ecosystem niche that mm. kind of were acting as those centers where the community could kind of keep coming back to in order to to find each other and reconnect and remind yourself that you were part of something yeah. that wasn't just happening once a year. Because like once a year isn't really enough. Like you need like church happens weekly for that reason in order to remind you that you belong with the thing. That's like a, that regular reoccurring connection to the larger community is a really important part of like any community lasting. So like at the Zen Den, um, which was a house that uh, I, along with three other people founded in 2010, became like the uh, the frat house of uh, the community, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really it was, was. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, was awesome. A, it was oh fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> Best dance parties. I was, I was such a nerd in school, too. So like yeah. it was such a mental trip for me to be like, yeah, I literally am living mo like uh, movie style parties <laughs> on like a monthly basis. Like, like you yeah. watch Van Wilder, like, yeah, our parties were better. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> we and, had more DJs. <laughs> yeah. Like, we actually had more DJs than Van Wilder's party. <laughs> man, epic. All night. From like, yeah, from yeah. like 10 p.m. Yeah, to like 3 o'clock like in the morning. Like, in the morning. All the yeah. time, yeah. Like four or five, six DJs. It was it was wild, yeah. Like, it, I, I could never have imagined that for myself. Like, when mm -hmm. I was going through high school, being like such a nerd that I was, and all of a sudden I was at the epicenter of this like wild frat house style parties. Just, uh, thing and so like the zen den filled that niche of like every month there was like a party that everybody went to and like yeah. the the sun belly was like this niche of like this is where you go to get your sort of like well-being workshop space in and like yeah. the occasional community potluck because we gave up on potlucks after a while because it's just too much work to do everything yeah so we're like we're just the party house and we're like the organizational meeting house so like we organize the meetings and we have parties and that's it that's all that zen den did that's all we could do um, and nourish was the place where there was like, uh, people went to go eat and then there was like the, the yoga studio downstairs. And so like the regular occurring pieces that happened there, uh, I'm not exactly sure what Treehouse did, but somehow they were really important. Um, well, like Shanice, people, yeah, like the, the, lived there. the nourish people live yeah. at Treehouse, and yeah. so that they were always kind of part of the thing, but they didn't really do like a lot at Treehouse. Yeah, I think so. Um, I never really thought of this, but, uh, just trying to make a connection between like the three original kind of groups of Archetribe of like 
the permaculturalists, the spiritualists, and the like social justice. Yeah. It almost looks like treehouses became like the permaculture one, and then Sunbelly was like the, the new age spiritual one, and then you guys were like social justice. Maybe uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So like, I I did actually. Yeah, maybe that was like Tad, because Tad right, was he like was also big. really involved. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, we were like the administration slash party headquarters. Yeah, yeah. We did we did the admin in the party. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we did. Oh, that, that is what you did. Like, yeah, literally. What we did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was brilliant, man, because you do like themes, right? You do like zodiac themes, and so like everybody comes every yeah every, every month, with us. Yeah. yeah. And that so five or six people will show up and be like, yeah, it's this, all their birthdays. The Scorpio party was wild. Yeah, the Scorpio was sad. <laughs> <laughs> it was like what? Like those... eight or nine? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. One boy is like they got a little out of hand. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah Zorn and I shared a birthday party. Yeah, <laughs> several actually. Man, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so like those kinds of bridging connections are so important for the community because you have to always be bringing people back together in order to remind each other like why this community operates. And that's why the pandemic was so devastating to us yeah. because it broke all of those connections for an extended period of time and people kind of forgot why they were doing it because they weren't seeing each other on a regular yeah. basis. So like that's how, that's why churches are like really like effective at lasting for long periods of time. Every week you're there. It's that ritualism of you're always going back. You're always reconnecting to the community. There's always that shared purpose that's being brought back in. So that's, that's that piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to say that too. Um, yeah. Cause that's what I felt with the pandemic. Just, um, shattered everything. Yeah. Um, but I think what, like what wisdom we can draw from it is the long game of it. Right. And like, why is it worth it? Right. And, um, to me, it's not looking at like, what I'm, what am I getting from it that would make it worth it right now? I just look back at what I experienced. So I have this treasure trove of memories Mm -hmm. of being like, that's why that's worth it. And it was never about like, what I'm getting in the moment out of it. If it's going to like go, like if I'm going to make money off of it or anything weird, right? Like there isn't, it's all about working towards that experience where everybody is free to be who they are and have as much fun as you possibly can. And then like prop up people in the community who are doing events and doing workshops Mm -hmm. and playing music and yeah. Yeah, um, like finding your allies, right? Like that's that's a big part of the, that community. It's like who is, who's on a similar path as you and is willing to help you shoulder some of the burden of the direction that you're going. Yeah, and like like the shared uh, advertising for workshops, the uh, just like there's so many things that I have done for the only reason that because somebody in the community was like, "Hey, I'm doing this thing," and I'm like, "Well, I'll come support you," and then I try it, and I'm like, "Well, that was cool." Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have started contact dancing if it wasn't for my brother. Um, yeah. And it was entirely by going to those kinds of events that, like, I saw what that looks like. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try that. And now it's a huge part of my life. Uh, I never would have picked up the sword if I had, yeah. like, gotten involved in the community. Because, like, that led me to meet one other guy. And uh, so I learned how to go and spin, uh, like, staff spinning back in 2009. And then because I learned staff spinning, I met a guy at a different festival who's like, Hey, I spin staff, and no, he doesn't spin staff. He fights with the staff, and I was like, "Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> Show me more of that." <laughs> and 
and like yeah you it's it it just becomes this tool by which you can explore the world yeah. because you get to meet all these different people who are exploring the world differently from yourself and then you share those things because they're not going to like they don't usually charge you for that and that's a big part of it it's like we all offer our gifts freely and within the community and so because yeah. like the workshops are all provided for free inside of that event well not for i suppose you have to buy a ticket but like you, you don't have to pay for the workshop individually then you get exposed to just like this wide array of things and get to expand your just perception and capabilities within the world. And it's just, it's a remarkable gift. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, I would say I wouldn't have gone in the direction that I did with music if I, if it wasn't for these events, you know, of being exposed to people who are, um, like playing instruments in a totally different way where coming into, uh, like uh, the Archetype community, I grew up on rock and metal. So when I played, like I had no inclination of any kind of like meditative ambient music. And so then, you know, being introduced to yoga and introduced community and being plugged right into it. That's how you met John. Yeah, that is how I met John. And, you know, like we've been making music together for five years now. Right. And, yeah, he is incredibly talented. Man, just absolute virtuoso. Totally. Yeah. And um, so what I feel this is uh, leading to. Okay. Um, so like when we look at cults and we look at religions, there's like tenets, right? So they all have like what kind of do's and don'ts. So they have some like moral... Uh, thing. I got it. Don't worry about it. Uh, if you want to just hold it, you can just take it out and just hold I it. I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with the mic. I went and bumped it. Okay. Go on. So, um, <clears throat> I went on your sub stack. Oh, shit. And, um, I think this is what we can, we can end on. Cause I, I thought this is brilliant. But so we're what gonna I, talk about like my fantasy writing, like not at all, are we? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's what we talked about on on yeah on Saturday on Saturday. The how am I doing a checklist for well being? Oh, I was, like, actually a... wrote it out. You wrote it. What? I wrote it out. Yeah, you wrote out my. Checklist. I was like, you know what? I need to. Why? I need to read this, but I need to like absorb it better. So and I wanted to have access to it to like quote it right. So oh. I was like, I'm just gonna. Take the time and write it out. It took like 30 minutes. But, okay. Well, um, and I'm so, deeply flattered. Man, some of these freaking questions are actually so deep. They... They like... They were so personalized. It's such gener- like general questions. But they're so personalized that immediately some of the questions were like, that's exactly what i'm going through right now i'm like that is so weird to ask myself because even when you're just i'm writing it and i'm reading it how it's written i'm asking that of myself as i'm reading it and writing that it was the point yeah yeah and so <clears throat> this it makes sense that you would write this and it's not the thing kind of writing that i'm trying to get famous on <laughs> but it's also really important but it is really it's like if you were to write just a nonfiction 
self-help book, yeah, this would be it. Yeah, I probably will write that book. <laughs> Actually, that probably is Dude, the start of that book. Just the <laughs> amount of information in this, it's loaded, man. You can, like, literally write... You know, like hundreds did, of pages. Did you know that, like, my okay, so my parents actually printed that article out and it came out to 23 pages. I was astonished. I wrote that over two days in a bit of a binge writing session. <laughs> and, like, when my when my parents told me that it was 23 pages long, I'm like, oh, okay, that is going to be a book one day. Yeah. yeah. So, um, like, the discussion part? It's like, not done. That's, like, yeah. that's just the first version. Yeah. So I just wrote out the. Like the, the checklist questions. itself, yeah, the yeah. checklist itself. Because yeah, like, there's, there's, a lot there's everything else, right? Yeah. I didn't like rewrite your whole article in my book. That would be madness. <laughs> like you, pages. That's what printers are for. <laughs> like, it took me seven, <laughs> took me seven hours. <laughs> word for word. I mean, I my would be super impressed by your dedication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so like you're sort of guiding this process. I, I won't like jump in yet. Like, where where are you going with this? Um, I wanted to look at, um, some that like popped out to me. Sure. Um, and, um, okay. So what I just want to explain to people. So this is a, how am I doing checklist for well-being? Um, he starts it with a poem and how's the poem by the way? Good. I like it. I like any poetry, really. You just like poetry in general. I just like, like poetry just, because, because, like, poetry? yeah, because it's poetry. Like, there, there's like... some that's like drab, you know, and okay. there's like, and slam poetry can be a little bit too much, you know. Um, but uh, I really want I'm just if, a fan if anybody's poetry. listening, I really want feedback on that poem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and all the links to everything is going to be there, uh, so uh, definitely check it out. And um, so yeah, so like. Asking yourself, how is my sleep? How okay, is my I, mouth? I, I want to give just like a bit of context to okay, this first, it. if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, do okay, so this is um, this is an essay that I wrote to myself. Um, but I figured if I was going to write it, I might as well publish it. Uh, because it was going to be a lot of work to write it. And I figured that if I was going to do the work, I might as well put it up there so that where other people can see. But it was born out of a sense of frustration of having done hundreds of hours of like research into self-development and health and well-being and finding that I keep forgetting to do the things that I've learned and just chronically for because I have ADD um, and not the greatest memory so like I'd forget stuff all the time and then I'd come across this podcast and be like hey there's this cool thing that you can do to make your health better and I would listen to it and I'd be like oh yeah I know this but I wasn't doing it yeah and so this happened to me pretty recently when I listened to an Edric Huberman podcast on oral health. And I realized I hadn't like brushed my teeth in three days. And I was like, that's disgusting. I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and so like, I just realized that I didn't have any feedback mechanism in order to remind myself of everything that I've learned about how to live a healthy lifestyle. And so I put this checklist together as something that I just look at in the morning, every morning, to remind myself of the core tenets of how to live a good life. And I tried to structure it in a way that made sense. I don't know if I did. Um, oh, yeah, it did, man. Okay, that's yeah. good feedback. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and I structured it so that there was, like, the questions, 
But then for everybody who reads, each question has a footnote and the footnote will take you to all the research that I've done that prompts that question. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, that's part that I did not see. Oh, you didn't check out the footnotes? No. Oh dude. The footnotes is honestly where the gold yeah, is. I will definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, not but that like, the questions aren't gold. Apparently the questions are also gold, but honest, I put the stock in the footnotes. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like by the, by the end of it, I was like, man, this is actually really extensive self work. Like as simple as some of them are, mm -hmm. like how is my mouth? Right. How is my mouth? That's a big fucking deal. Did I brush once, twice, or three times today? Did I floss or use mouthwash? Do I have cavities? When was the last time I saw the dentist? Visited a dentist? Yeah. My gums inflamed? Because <clears throat> I think, like, what I got out of it is this application of self awareness through asking questions. Yeah. Right? And it seems so trivial. It kind but, of is. Um, just to be able to ask yourself basic questions and, and i felt like it got deeper like it starts pretty like surface of like yeah you know how is my mouth am i gonna like perturb someone because they my mouth stinks you know I, and, but that's like actually a really deep thing right because like the bacteria in your mouth has really profound impacts on like what your skin health is going to be yeah on like what your overall inflammation levels are going to be on your immune system response on your ability to digest food the like your bacteria gets too loaded up in there like it can affect your mental health like there's so many cat like there's so much evidence that shows that oral health is also mental health and like Whoa. not getting good dental care is a significant statistical dis statistical disadvantage uh towards any sort of academic performance like on a really significant level so yeah like that there sense. is like literal self-defense in asking those questions because if you don't look after your oral health you're gonna get stupider yeah and even like not knowing that i would say <clears throat> if you're not so self-reflective if you're not just asking yourself questions about behaviors and stuff, then having a checklist like a uh, checklist like this and asking yourself that, like, do I have any? The immediate like kind of response in the brain is like, who gives a fuck, yeah. right? And so that's a problem for tomorrow. Yeah, and so what I like about this is of the progression of it is to take you deeper into a self analysis that can uncover things that would be linked to why you would have that reaction. Yeah. Right. Why you would think like, Oh, who gives a fuck about my teeth? Right. So, like that reaction, that source of that is coming from somewhere. And there could be a question later on. That's like, Oh, that's because I just neglect everything, you know? And yeah, some of those questions will uncover those things. Honestly, like that, that entire checklist has actually been a deeply uncomfortable process for me because yeah. like, I keep asking those questions Oh man. and my list of to do's like <clears throat> kind of keeps growing because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm actually not addressing this shit. Yeah. Like what am I consuming? Yeah. My God, I went through this one. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you consuming? Like, am I taking my time to chew my food? I'm like, absolutely not. I wrote, I, as I was writing that in my book, I was like, N -n -n no. 
<laughs> yeah, and chewing your food is linked to all these different things, like your jaw health, like your capacity to be able to breathe through your nose, yeah. the amount of saliva that's built into your food, like your ability to digest and actually get micro and macronutrients out of your food. Like chewing is apparently a big friggin' deal. Yeah. <clears throat> so... And I almost never chew my food. I, just, I literally just like breathe yeah. it in. <laughs> yeah. So like, I have to remind myself. And uh, yeah, I think it's like the last three where it gets, especially <laughs> the last two, like how are my relationships and how, like, how is my spirit? Um, what was it here? Yeah. Am I treating myself with grace and forgiveness? Oh. Yeah. It just, it takes a dive into a deep yeah. end. And, um, honestly, that's the ones that I need the reminders on the most. I'm like super self-critical. Yeah. And being a writer, like I get rejected all the fucking time. So I've like got lots of real world evidence of like my unworthiness. Like it's, so I have to be constantly reminding myself to treat myself with grace. And so I can see how <clears throat> these play with each other. Like they are kind of like interconnected right right because if you're if if you're not treating yourself with grace you know like how would you recognize this with number 10 here is is there someone in your life i need to repair a relationship with and is it in my power to do so yeah yeah like the impetus for a lot of those different things is like trying to uncover what it is that leads a person to being depressed Right. Mm. Because like depression has like such has like a million different reasons. Like if anybody ever says you're depressed because you're like this, they're telling you why they are depressed. Mm. Uh, they're not telling you why you are depressed. They're telling you why they are depressed. Yeah. Um, and like that's really important to keep in mind. Anytime someone gives you mental health advice, they don't know you. They don't know why you are depressed. Yeah. And. Like, I've struggled with depression through my entire life. And looking back on it, I've been depressed for a lot of different reasons. Like, yeah, sometimes it's... it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's career, sometimes it's any number of things. Yeah. How do I find out the thing that's causing it now? And so those questions were designed to act as like a dashboard, like a dashboard of like lights in your car. Like what's what's the warning light on today? And sometimes it's because your relationships suck and you need to work on them. Sometimes it's because you need to brush your fucking teeth. <laughs> sometimes it's because like your car is broken down and it needs a new battery and it needs new tires and it needs all these different things. And it's causing you these microcosms of stress. So fix your car. Prime example, my truck. So I have two vehicles. Sure. I have like my daytime like Jeep <clears throat> and then I have a work truck that's not working right now because I need a new battery. And I helped John on Sunday um, go to his mother's, uh, so his mother passed away recently and uh, he's like cleaning out her How recently? room. Uh, like two weeks ago. Shit. Yeah. I'll message him. Thanks yeah. for letting me know. Yeah. And uh, so <clears throat> because my truck's not working and I didn't take care of it and I didn't put a new fucking battery in it, I had to borrow my dad's truck. And it was like on the night of our family dinner and he was already using it. So he's like, yeah, you won't have access to it until like four o'clock. So like crunched us into this timeline and like, yeah, th those kind of questions just go right into that. They're like, man, you know, There's why? Here. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I and it's been yeah, an, an issue. example like this shingles up here like I promised my parents I'd fix this like six months ago and <laughs> I haven't and every time I come down here I'm like oh yeah that's that that promise that I made that I haven't kept up on yeah and it's just like this mic it's just this niggle on my mind of like you aren't keeping your promises yeah yeah it sucks and now it's on my radar but I also have like 50 other things on there so it's like down the list yeah yeah <laughs> to me those are the things that like you wake up and you do it in the morning you're like I'm gonna make some coffee and I'm gonna fucking get to this oh that's interesting yeah I usually just like run out the door and go straight to the gym <laughs> <laughs> you're like I need to be strong first yes <laughs> and then you come home and you're like man I need a nap I'm tired <laughs> I probably should be doing my renos before I go to the gym. Actually, yeah. Now that I think about it, probably a really yeah. good idea. <laughs> I've definitely overcommitted to the whole, like, uh, my body uh, motion is uh, the path to happiness. And so, like, I've, I've gone really deep down the pathway of, like, yeah. personal fitness. Yeah. Me too. I, I do CrossFit, so I did my workout today um, with my trainer. And, um, man, it's a world of a difference. Like... Um, but I'm noticing that I'm just becoming prone to injuries because CrossFit is, stopped doing CrossFit. yeah, is, yep. yeah. Like my knee is, uh, it, there's a concern now, you know, like I just have this like kind of like burning pain. It's not bad, but I knew, I know I've done something to it. And, uh, like right here, it's like right on the inside of the knee. Oh, you probably right need here. to do like VMO squats and like the tibialis raise. I'm thinking yes, and I'm thinking um, I just have really tight hamstrings right now. That's and yeah, into my that's hip. also a thing. But there yeah. is also I bet you because like CrossFit doesn't train tibialis raise very much, and that's like the calf muscle right here. Yeah, this made you know a what? huge difference for me when I got strong here. Yeah, it's like huge difference. My knee pain went away. <clears throat> Sick. Yeah. So. ATG online, seriously, worth the 60 bucks a month. ATG online, what is yeah. that? It's like Knees Over Toes Guys program. Oh, yeah. Wild, super effective. Yeah. Yeah, it changed my life. Sweet. Yep. Maybe I'll try to get him to sponsor me. I, yeah, <laughs> I should try and get him to sponsor me, too. I just gave him, like, free advertising right there, but, like, legitimately. It was a great program. I, I'm still using it. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I think... We can wrap it up there. Sure. I think that was great, man. Yeah, um, and technically, I'm actually a fantasy author and not a self-help author, but apparently <laughs> I'm going in a different direction these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to pick pick that one out because it was like in the context of kind of like what we were talking about. and It was a really – it was actually an interesting bridge, yeah. Yeah. Because like, it is very related in the, to like – Yeah, in the relatability to you, sure. yoga connection because um, – Stuff oh, yeah, like that really is really apropos to like your podcast. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, stuff like that um, is um, there's examples of it, or there's similarities to that even in the yoga world, right? Of uh, and the term in yoga is svadhyaya, self study. Mm. So it's like having these questions. You are studying yourself because you're studying what you're thinking and you're studying what your responses are. Oh, I have a question for you. Yeah. What question would you add to that list and where? Oh my God. What question would I add and where? Yeah. I'm so curious because like you're deep down this pathway as well. You know so what? Like... How, okay. How, how's my environment? Okay. 
Okay, just so there's not dead air. I'm just reading this. Um... I, th I I didn't give him any time to prepare for this question. I probably should have. No, but that's good. I I'm like being in the hot seat. Okay, so yeah, how's my environment? All right. Um, I would add. How am I disturbing it? How am I disturbing my environment? Yeah. What would you get from asking that question? So, um, I think in two, in two ways, there's going to be in a way that no one really sees and you're just, you fuck shit up, but okay. no one really knows. And, uh, it could be like, um, like secrets that you know about people or, um, it could be you're a clumsy person, you know? So it can be like, how am I, um, being disruptive without really people know because like I'm sly about it or, um, <clears throat> you're, um, just like how you speak to people in generally, you know? So like in your environment, um, how are you treating the people that are in your day, regular day-to-day -day living. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it seems almost like an environmentalist sort of perspective, like a leave no trace kind of like, yeah, like concept of like, how am yeah. I adding to the chaos of my environment? Yeah. So like part of the, part of the point of it is uh, of the questions is not just to ask questions in order to find ways of which I'm being bothersome, but it's also to like give hope that it can be corrected. Yeah. So like if I was to ask that question in it, like how, what's the positive spin on, on getting that question asked? So what it reminds me of is... Are there traces that I've <laughs> left behind that I need to clean up? Have yeah. I created a disturbance that requires redress? Yeah. And it um, could be like physically, emotionally, yeah. you know, it could be like actually you got into a car accident and you're embarrassed and you just dip out. Right. Or... <laughs> Um, you know, like, um, you've inadvertently or advertently caused like drama between people in your life. And now there's like all this upheaval between people. <clears throat> and, um, yeah. So when I, and this, this might be a little bit subtle, but, um, it reminds me of, uh, I did a Qigong workshop with this, uh, like, Qigong master named Michael Shen. And <clears throat> he was telling us about um, not disturbing the air around your mouth when you breathe. That you breathe so subtly that no one would be able to even tell, like, that you're even breathing. <clears throat> And his I like philosophy of that is that um, when you're when you're not paying attention to your breath and you're a heavy breather and you're disturbing all the air around you, chances are you're just a disruptive person and you're disrupting everywhere you go. If it's with your voice, if it's with your movement, if it's with just sound, you're just like a disruptive person. And then what Qigong and Tai Chi and these practices are helping with is to bring your awareness to your breath so that you can 
train yourself to not be a disruptive person. <clears throat> and so you can move through the environment as if like you're not even there. It's like no one knows you're there. And so that's what I would ask. Like, how am I disturbing my environment? I love that. Yeah. I'll probably add something like that. I'll probably workshop it a bit, but that's a good question. Actually. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, happy to add to it. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, huh? Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um <clears throat> gotten pretty good at it over uh, a little bit of time here. So Yeah, I can see that. Um yeah, so I'll have all your links up. So primarily or um they can mainly find Bottom you on Substack. Substack.com. Yeah, cool. that's my primary place. I mean you can find <clears throat> Tales of the Godswood on Facebook is another way to go and uh, connect to me, but honestly, like come directly to the Substack. That's the best way to get to stuff i published there first i published there predominantly um and like that's that's really the primary focus like if you also want to check in uh, of any of our other projects like there is archetribe.ca uh and the archetribe community events group on facebook but if you don't live in edmonton alberta that won't do you a whole lot of good yeah um some i mean we are talking with people from calgary about opening up a calgary tribe yeah uh, Wicked. Well, which I'll, yeah. I'm really excited about that. Like, yeah, her cats, guys, yeah they need it for them. sure. Like, we definitely want to have some sort of like hub in Calgary that can start gathering people there as well. Uh, but yeah, for me specifically, robingeorge.substack.com. That's, uh, that's where I'd recommend you come find me. Yeah, and I'll have that uh, link in the description. So thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on this journey each week and have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy. Taking off.